This is Stories of Strength by MuscleTech, personal and inspirational tales that redefine strength. Welcome to Stories of Strength, a podcast where we share personal and inspirational tales that redefine strength. I'm your host, Jay Cardiello, and this week we're sitting down with former defensive tackle for Rutgers University, Eric Legrand. In 2010, Eric suffered a paralyzing spinal cord injury during a game against Army. Eric has been granted numerous awards for his perseverance and continues to advocate for individuals with spinal injuries. He is here today to share with us his story of strength. Eric, thank you so much for being on the show. It's an honor to have you. I appreciate you having me on, Jay. So, Eric, for those who don't know about the play, take us back to October 16th, 2010. Describe that play. Oh, I met Life Stadium. It was, we just had the game up 17 to 17 in the fourth quarter, five minutes left in the game. I'm running down on kickoff to make a big play for my team. And I had two guys that were blocking me. I was facing a double team. I got right through them. I said to myself, I have a 30 yard head start on this tackle. Let me use my shoulder and keep my head out of the play. As I'm running down the field, now, my teammate got down there about a half a second before I did. I put my head down thinking it wasn't going to be the tackle at all. And when Malcolm Brown's body twirled in the air, the crown on my head went right into the back of his shoulder blade. And next thing you know, I'm laying on the ground on the 25-yard line, motionless. And last thing I remember feeling is my heels hitting the ground. After the hit, Eric, trainers run over to you. They're starting to ask you questions, how you're doing and everything. You're saying you can't breathe. Coach Chiano comes over to you and asks you to pray. What were you thinking at that moment? I thought I was going to die. I can't move. I can't breathe. And now my coach is telling me, you have to pray right now. I'm like, is my life over? You know, I start praying to God, please give me a gasp of air or anything. But at one point I did say, God, take me at ease. You know, this is, this is it. But as I, you know, obviously I didn't die right there. I opened my eyes back up and I went back into the panic mode. But that time they had brought the board out in the cart and everything and they were lifting me up to put me onto the cart. I remember watching it on ESPN. Excuse me if I get a little choked up right now, but I reached out to the Giants and I talked to a guy, the chaplain, George McGovern. And I said, George, you, you got to get me to that kid. You, you got to get me to that kid. Because as you know, I had a spinal injury myself. And I just had to come see you. And I remember coming up into your room and I didn't know what to expect. And I was holding back my tears as I'm holding back my tears now. And I walk into the room and you had this big, jovial smile on your face. You were laughing, your mom's laughing, my friends were in your room and everything was just so positive. Where do you get such a positive attitude from? You know, it's always been within me. As I grew up, I never liked controversy. I don't like, you know... Down to people, yeah, I like to joke around and have a good time, you know, mess around with the guys and stuff like that. But when it's serious stuff, I never like to put people down and make people feel bad. And I was always that happy-go-lucky guy, life of the party. So when my injury happened to me, I was like, I'm 20 years old. Just 20, turned 20 years old a month before. God willing, I have many more years to live. I don't want to be upset. I don't want to be miserable. I don't want to be unhappy that this has happened to me. No animosity or remorse towards it. I said, I'm going to live my life to the best of my ability. And just seeing all the support that came out for me after that, I was like, how can I get down? I have to stay positive. This is now my responsibility. 
the word belief has been a very big part of your life. It's been a very important part of your life. Where did that slogan come from? This actually goes back to high school. Wow. And we had above our locker, back to high school, JSO. <laughs> above our locker, where it used to be the, the, the sign believe, you know, you tap it before you go out to the practice field mm-hmm. or to the game field. And I always used to tap the EL. And I never really told anybody that. <laughs> that was my thing. You know, my little thing that I did. The summer before my injury, one of my good friends, John Nevins, I actually told him that story. He was like, oh, wow, for real? That's, you know, that's pretty cool. Right after my injury happened, my member coach was like, you know, we needed something to rally behind. You know, we, what are we thinking? Like, we just, we have to believe. I have to believe that God is going to take care of Eric, that Eric is going to be okay. We just have to believe. John told coach that story. And next to you know, Believe 52 just it manifested. It just took off. And that's what we got to do every single day still. It blew up. It blew up. And we're still believing. Now, I ask this to a lot of my guests. Having such a positive attitude, being such a successful person you are to today, do you have any morning rituals? And what I mean by morning rituals, I journal, take a cold shower, exercise in the morning. I do an incantation. Do you have any morning rituals or how do you get mentally ready for every day? Actually, my morning ritual is once I, because my nurses come in and I go through that whole two hour, two and a half hour process with my nurses. But once I finally get into my chair, I always pray. First thing I do is pray. If it's the summertime, I go out on my deck or if it's inside, I actually get my mind stimulated by doing a Spanish lesson. Really? Duolingo, yes. And I do a little Spanish lesson for the day, crossword puzzle. And a little bubble game that I always do. I don't know what it is, but <laughs> I do a crossword puzzle, Spanish lesson, and like a little bubble game. And it just gets my mind going for the day, like gets it started. And, you know, obviously with my a cup of coffee and off to there my goes my day. Coach Chiano, he leaves Rutgers and goes to Tampa Buccaneers. And as you know, I coached the Buccaneers. So I was really happy when he went there because I know the kind of coach he is. What did it mean to you when Coach Chiano comes back to Rutgers to coach the team? Man, it's been some, some long years, let's just say. <laughs> Working on the radio broadcast and calling all the games. I've seen every single game and every single minute of the struggle. And now having Coach back, it is just amazing to see what he has learned, how he has grown from when he was my coach to this go-around. I remember when he was out of coaching, he was – hanging out with Nick Saban. Then he was on staff at Urban Meyer at Ohio State. Mm -hmm. Then he took the job with Bill Belichick and was always in touch with Bill Belichick from years back. And then got that and then, you know, decided, you know what? I'm going to not take this job and got the the Rutgers job a few months later. So seeing what he has learned and picked up from them and what the program has done in the year and a half that he's been here, man, I am hyped. And just to see him... (laughs) And all the staff that I know that are my, my teammates that are now coaches and then the, my former coaches that are back, it's just such a you know heartwarming feeling to go back there and just see it being redone all over again. But this time it's going to be even better. Yeah. Beyond X's and O's, what did Coach Shiano mean to you during the most devastating time in your life? Man, he stepped up big time. I'll tell you that. Stepped up huge. He made sure that I was in the best hospital, had the best surgeon. When my mom finally needed to get some sleep after a week of staying up and staying in the hospital with me, Rutgers got my mom, my aunt and sister a hotel next to the hospital, but they would need to go home at night. Coach Chiano, after a long day of practice, you know, up at 6 a.m., 
doing everything that he needed to do with the football team. He would come up to the hospital at 11 p.m. every single night. And from there, he would stay until about 2 a.m. in the morning just so I wasn't alone. I never went to sleep. I acted like I was sleeping because mm-hmm. those were the terrors and that I went through. But just to have him there, knowing that he was there, just the sacrifices that he made will always stick with me. And he told me when I was a recruit, when we recruit you to Rutgers, you're like family. I treat all my players like they're my sons. And there was no better example than what he showed after my injury. So that's amazing. He would come there at 11 p.m., stay there till one or two in the morning. And then people don't realize as a coach, you're getting back up at 630 in the morning just to get to the practice field, get to the practice facility and start doing that over again. He really did make a big impact in your life, and he's making a big impact to a lot of players these days. People ask him, like, how did he do it? He always says, it was just something we, I had to do. There was no question about it. There was no like, oh, man, maybe I can't make it tonight. Or I'm tired. It was something that he had to do, and that always sticks with me. That's amazing. That's what a real coach is because, you know, as, as a coach myself, you know, we always take the people underneath us as family. And he has definitely stepped up and been part of your family. Now, you've chosen to make a difference in many people's lives. Talk to me about how you're inspiring people with spinal cord injuries as well as life-changing injuries. You know, people go through all sorts of adversity in life. Spinal cord injuries, you know, depression, addiction, whatever it is. I try to be that light to show them everything that I have to go through every single day of my life. You can still live your life to the fullest. You can still be happy. You can still go after your goals. Yes, things may be different. Your life may be flipped and turned upside down, but that doesn't mean that you have to stay in those dark times and those dark moments. You can create new memories. You can create a new life. You can adjust your goals. You know, it's not always easy and it's not always fun, but you always have to keep your eye on the prize and know what you're going after and always have those core values in your mind of keeping focus and staying focused on the task at hand. And I try to tell people that. And usually after they talk to me, they get it. They see how I live my life. They see me physically. And they're like, you know what? What do I have to complain about? If he's getting up and smiling with everything he has to go through every single day, why can't I do that myself? And that's what I try to share with people every day. It's true. It's like before this programming, and I'm adjusting my ear pods and and complaining a little bit here and there about you know, getting ready and getting getting ready for this podcast. And it's just like, it means nothing at the end of the day. It really does mean nothing at the end of the day. We, we need to stop complaining. We need to take a look at ourselves and actually check ourselves. So I really appreciate that. Now, you're a motivational speaker. You're out on the road. Who are you talking to? Who are you trying to reach? I love with my story. I can reach so many, whether if it's students. I love speaking with students, kids, especially high school kids, you know, but also businesses, corporations, mm. foundations. That's the cool part, too, because my story is my story. I can always share my story. But then talking about different needs that also businesses and corporations need to have compared to what students need to hear is sometimes different. So I always will share my story on what I've been through and where I'm going. But then at the end, I always adjust. So if I'm talking to business and corporations, if it's about leadership, about creating core values, setting up goals, attacking goals, maintaining goals. Or if it's with students, if it's being a good person, focusing on studies and education, working hard on the field and off the field, it's a little bit different. So I love that my story can always relate to anybody, but it's just whoever I'm talking to, how I change it. Who's your mentor, Eric? 
say a lot of people. I look up to a lot of people. I look at Eric Thomas and Inky Johnson as one, you know, some of the greatest motivational speakers there are. Coach Shiano as an overall mentor of life and goals. And like I said, we call that Rutgers, chop the moment, stay focused on the task at hand, keep chopping and not letting things hold you back. My mom, you know, how she has raised me and turned me into the man that I am today. You know, it's like everything that she does for me. I try to, get, you know, do the best I can for her as well. And just overall, there's so many great people that I have in my life that I continue to learn from and build relationships with. And I think that's what helps me not just singling out only one person to be a mentor because I'm picking up stuff from all different people in all different walks of life. Going on a little bit more about your mom, how has she been such an influence in your life? From the time she raised me from a boy to... As a single parent, you know, my, my father was there for me. He was always there. He lived in a town that over for me, you know, and he, they, my parents separated when they were five years old. He was always at all my games. If I ever needed anything, he was always there. But my mom raised me. My mom grew me into the man I am, disciplined me, punished me, all of that. <laughs> That's who my, my mom is. And she was always on top of me and pushing me and nagging at me to do the right thing until... The trained behavior became instinct until I knew what to do for myself. And still to this day, although you see me out in public and the pictures and this and that, she's the one who's doing all the behind the scenes works, bringing me there. As you saw before I came out here, setting me up on the laptop, handling the medication and the insurance and all that good stuff. That's Mama Dukes right there. And I don't know where I would be without her. I remember meeting her at Kessler and she was a mom to you that day. It was interesting because it was you would go in there and you would think that it would be a very somber moment. And your mom was treating you just like any other child. Yeah. And it was just like, Eric, come on, Eric, come on, pick your head up. Come on, Eric, you got this. Come on, pick your head up. And I was like, go mom, go. Mom. <laughs> I don't get much sympathy from my mom. Believe me. She's always been that tough, you know, tough heart on me. And that's exactly what I needed. And it helps me. And that's why, you know, I can look at life the way that I do. It's interesting because she didn't show you any sympathy when I was there. And yet I would think when I was going to visit you and see you in that state, mom was treating you just like any other child would be treated. Eric, you got to do this. Pick your head up. It's going to be better. It's going to be better. That's the best part of that. It's something <laughs> that needs to be done. She'll be there coaching me and yelling from the side. I'm like, all right. It's not, oh, is your neck hurting today? Or, oh, does it? No. Come on. We got to get this done. Let's go, Eric. You know what you have to do. That's how she's always been. That's great. It's been a tough year for a lot of us with the pandemic and everything. How has COVID impacted your work this year? And what is the biggest lesson that you have learned from it? It impacted it a lot. You know, I had speaking engagements obviously stopped. A lot of foundation stuff stopped. Appearances going here, this event, that event, all of that stopped. And it allowed me to actually reflect, take a step back, reflect on my life. And so also start listening to audiobooks. I started listening to audiobooks. The first one I listened to was Carly Lloyd's audiobook, the U.S. Women's National Team, player, soccer player, and hair story. Listen to David Goggins' audiobook, and wow, that one is just, yeah. Then the next one that really got my entrepreneurial mind going is Shoe Dog, Phil Knight's story on how he created Nike. Really? Into starting the Grand Coffee House, and then so much more. It's just unbelievable to see. You know, and hear some of these stories and what people been through. And you think, yeah, you know, when I was born, Nike was always the top dog. Nike this, Nike that. 
I had no idea what it took to build Nike. I didn't know Adidas and Puma were around before Nike and all of that. (laughs) And I just always knew Nike as that global brand that it is. But the backstory behind it is just just truly amazing. And getting to hear other people's stories and walks of life and maybe reflect. And that's how I was able to start launching more of my own businesses. Two books that I want to recommend to you. One is The Untethered Soul. It's a tremendous, tremendous book. And the next one is by um, Dale Carnegie, Think and Grow Rich. Text those over to me. I will. Those, those are tremendous books and really make a huge difference in many people's lives, especially my own. So Eric, a lot of people you talk to go through a lot of obstacles, but what is one message you can give people struggling with overcoming obstacles? No matter how bad your situation may be or what you're going through, no matter what it is, always remember there is always someone that has it worse than you. It's true. There's always someone that has it harder than you. So be appreciative for the things you do have. Don't focus on the things that you don't have. But if there's something that you really want, then you work your butt off to get it. No other ways about it. You go out there and you be the best that you could absolutely be every single day of your life and not let things get in your way or hold you back. Yes, there may be setbacks. Yes, there may be trials and tribulations. But getting back up and still fighting each and every day, you will reach that light at the end of the tunnel. It will come. So true. So true. So what are some of your keys to leadership? Keys to leadership is consistency. You got to be consistent doing it over and over and over. Also, being willing to learn, being willing to learn. You have to be willing to learn from other people, understand different methods, different techniques, taking that all in and then creating a platform or something that you go attack it with. That's how I learned. And then also being able to adapt. Nice. Especially the world that we live in today. Things are always changing on the fly and this and that. How willing are you not to stay in stuck in your old ways and being able to adapt to new environments and still be successful in those new environments? Those are some of the keys to leadership that I have because there's just so many things that so many times that people fail because they get stuck in the old ways. They think that, oh, I did it like this, that it can't be changed. And I want to listen to nobody else. I want to learn. And they're not consistent all the time. You make me think of a quote. My father told me this quote when I was very young. He said, 5% of people in this world make things happen. 15% watch things happen. And 80% don't know what the heck is going on. And it's so true. We have to be that 5%. We have to realize that, you know, today may be our last day. We may be taking our last breath and we never want to give ourselves the opportunity to ask what if. So it's very important that we have to be that 5% each and every day we're living our life. That's awesome. I had a coach that told me every day above ground is a good day. Be happy for that. Be thankful for it. That's so true. That's so true. Now, you're a sports broadcaster now for Rutgers football, and you see football from a different perspective. You're calling the shots. You're calling you know, what people are doing on the field. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you're seeing, not only in team leadership, but in coaching leadership? A lot of things. You can see body language. Body language is huge. Really? Yeah. You can see if your team is down and pounding and, you know, hands on their knees, walking around moping when you're up top and compared to when something goes wrong and the team can make an adjustment and you see that laser focus still on getting the job done and everyone's still giving full effort. You know, when a team is being led in the right direction by that body language and when things aren't going well for them. Do they continue to fight or do you see people 
pointing their finger and blah, blah, and looking. You can always see that up top. And as soon as you see that, you're like, you know what? Either this team, they got it or they don't. <laughs> it all starts at the top. So that's some of the things I definitely notice as I'm sitting there broadcasting. I'm like, okay, when things aren't going well right now, are they still laser focused on the game plan? At the task game, what's going on here? Or are they moping around, they pouting, or are the people looking up at the sky really not paying attention? Now, you had mentioned coffee in your uh, morning ritual. What's the basis behind opening your coffee shop? So it's funny. I didn't have my first cup of coffee till August of 2020. Crazy. Till August of 2020? <laughs> I've been missing out on some good stuff, let me tell you, Jess. <laughs> it is good. But it all started with the typical millennial way of a group message of friends sending their cups of coffee every single day what everyone was drinking every single day. Got 14 people in that. About 12 people participated in that every day. And everything that was going on in the world at the time, and when I looked at something, Eric, what do you do? What do people look at to you for motivation, inspiration? Pick me up. I said, you know, there's an opportunity to open up your own cafe in your hometown. You know, you've always been a cafe guy, not a big coffee guy, but how can you help motivate people every single day? What do people need? And 85% of the world needs coffee. They drink it every single day. So I said, if I could put my little motivational twist on coffee, it can give people that daily reminder, that daily affirmation of going out there and attacking their goals every day, Mm. not holding back on anything, you know, being appreciative for the things that they have in their life, staying positive, because every time you drink LeGrand coffee, I'm like, oh, yeah, if Eric is doing that, why can't I do that? And also you're going to get some great coffee with it as well. That's going to go down. Ooh, he's got some good stuff here. So that's where. The Grand Coffee House was invented, and we also launched our online store on January 12th of this year with our brick and mortar to be opening up later this year in September. September, congratulations. That is great. That is great. And where is it going to be located again? In my hometown of Woodbridge, New Jersey, the Grand Coffee House will be at 10 Green Street at this new, beautiful 232-unit apartment building with six retail stores called Avenue and Green. And I, I can't wait till those doors open. We're calling it the LeGrand Opening. It's going to be something special. <laughs> That is great. Now, I have a question. This is this is just an off question, but what was it like being inducted to the WWE Hall of Fame? What was that like? That was an experience. Oh my God. That's just <laughs> that whole thing was just insane. Going down there and seeing some of the legends that you watch as a kid and just being able to be in the same hotel with them, going to like the same area, like at the bar area where everyone meets up at, you know, hanging out with Ric Flair. You know, walking by Triple H and Kane, Undertaker, Kurt Angle. I'm like, what is life right now? Like, what is going on? And then I get to be the one and go out there and they, they say my name as the Warrior Ward. And all of a sudden, everyone's like, yeah, 75,000 people screaming and cheering for you at the WWE Hall of Fame. And I go to, the, and I'm heading off backstage to go back to my seats and the Hardy Boys come running in to surprise the entire crowd. I'm like, like, what is life right now? <laughs> and that weekend, it was just indescribable down there in Orlando. And I can't thank, you know, Triple H and his team and everyone enough for nominating me for the Warrior Award that year and being able to give my friends and just myself that experience of being a part of the WWE for a weekend. That is great. Now, give me a quick oversight of your park. Oh, my park. So, so I have a park in my hometown that I grew up in. in it's a lot nicer now than when I grew up in <laughs> our sewer holes were our first base, second base and third base. And 
We used to build bike jumps that we weren't where we weren't supposed to be digging in the park, but we were digging anyway. Building bike jumps. Our basketball court had glass and stuff all on it. But as kids, you know, we make the best of it. And we were out there competing and playing every single day. And it was literally three blocks away from my house. So my town should give me a call up one day. And they said, we want to name that park the Eric LeGrand Believe Park. And now it's all nice. It's got a nice little track around it. Got all these nice swing sets and a playground. And they said, this is the park that you grew up in. And this is where, you you know, you played with your friends. and You learned a whole lot of lessons, good and bad lessons playing there. And we <laughs> want to name this park after you. And I'm just like, now that's awesome. Uh, now, I ask everybody this question on my podcast, and then it may seem, you know, what you want to leave here. But what is the legacy that you want to leave? I love that question because I always say I want to leave the legacy of a hero, someone that didn't back down, someone that loved to answer the call for people that needed help, the love to people that they can look up to as an inspiration, that took that on as a responsibility to never give up on my own battle as well as helping people through their, their own battles. I mean, someone that looked at you and said, you know what? I got Eric LeGrand. He was a good guy. He gave it his all, no matter what it was. He left this earth a better place. And that's the legacy that I strive to live for and live up to every single day of my life. And we're believing. It's true they retired your number at Rutgers, is that correct? Yeah, first, we were the birthplace of college football. My number is the only one top retired in there, which is a whole other scenario that blew my mind because that's just thinking about the history of college football and Rutgers being the birthplace of it and my number being retired and hanging up in that stadium is just... It's just amazing. A kid from Avenel, New Jersey, small town Avenel, New Jersey, with his jersey from number 52 hanging up in the in the stadium where everyone sees it when you pass by on Route 18 or when you're in the stadium. It's just cool because I always say one day when a little kid who may not know who I am, because I'm, I'm you know, way past his time, they look up at that number, their dad or their grandfather, whoever they're with, their uncle, their mom, aunt, cousin, can tell them a story about me. And that's just... That's just so impactful to me. And we are believing because uh, there's a possibility that you can unretire that number, right? Oh, yeah. And one day when I get up out of this chair and walk again, I remember Coach Flood when he was at Rutgers said, that's well unretire that number. I'd like to talk about that because, you know, I like it being retired. But the goal started <laughs> me walking again one day and going back to MetLife Stadium and getting down on that 25-yard line and running, walking, crawling, whatever I can do, Jay, but finish that last play. You will. You will. I promise you that you will. So, Eric, where can people find you on social media? You can find me at Eric Legrand 52 on Twitter and Instagram. Eric Legrand on my Facebook and then also Legrand Coffee House on my, it's just Legrand Coffee House on Instagram as well as Shop 52 with my role model shirt, S H O P F I F T Y and uh, T W O. And that's where people look for me for all that good stuff. And if you want to go to my website, speaking engagements, things of that nature. EricLegrand52.com, man. Yep, not, not too hard to find. Well, Eric, it was such an honor to have you on your show. Tell your mom, said hello, and most of all, we're always going to continue to believe. Gotta believe, that's all we can do. Appreciate you having me, Jay. Thank you again, Eric. Much love, guys. That's going to do it for today's episode of Stories of Strength. A big thank you to Eric for joining us and sharing with us his story of how you can't let your physical limitations keep you from reaching your goals. If you liked today's episode, be sure to follow, leave a review, and listen up for new episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Jay Cardiello, 
And this has been Stories of Strength, personal and inspirational tales that redefine strength presented by MuscleTech.